from the Tulsa, Oklahoma congregation, bring his message on acceptable worship. Is my mic on? <clears throat> Couldn't tell. I haven't, haven't used this mic before. <clears throat> and they shall go up from year to year to worship the king. And in John 4, and I'm not going to turn there, Jesus meets the woman at the well. And the woman in the well says, who have worshipped in these mountains and these hills. Our fathers have worshipped here for years. And you, that is Jesus, tells us to worship in Jerusalem. And, Jer and Jesus goes on and tells her some additional information that we'll get to a little later. But the question that I have for you is, how do you worship God? And what is acceptable worship to God? And how do you know that your worship is acceptable to him. Is worship something that you do? Is it a place that you go? And what do scriptures tell us about what to do to worship and how to worship? A very popular Sunday minister on TV says in his literature, Scriptures in the New Testament gives us very few guidelines. And most of the instructions are Old Testament regulations. And continuing on, he says, identifying aspects of worship as praising, giving thanks, singing, praying, and giving financially. But he left one item out of that list. We'll identify that item a little bit later. Because before we can define what acceptable worship is, we have to define what is worship. We have to define, secondly, who is the authority to establish what that worship is. And so that's where we're going to begin with the definition of worship. In John 4.24, Jesus concludes his conversation with the woman at the well. And he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must, must, not optional here, must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's real easy to worship God with physical things in the physical realm. To worship him in spirit is somewhat more difficult if we have a ceremony that we define as worshiping God, we can regiment ourselves to do that. But when it comes to the spiritual characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the heart of God and the mind of God, that is somewhat more difficult. It's hard for us to see the deficiencies in ourselves. And it's easy to point the finger and see the deficiencies in others, our mental perspective, our emotional responses, much of 
which are the result of our past hurts, scars, from the negative impacts that we've had in our life. And it goes on in the scripture and it says, truth, worship him in truth. The truth of Jesus Christ, which the Spirit of God leads us into. The word worship is Strong's number 4352 in the scripture. It's from number 4314 and probably a derivative of 2965, meaning to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. You've all had that experience, haven't you? With your own dog or maybe somebody else's dog. And the first thing you do if you meet a strange dog, you put your hand out and you let them smell it. And they'll, of course, you're running your wrist. They might take a chomp out of it too if they want fresh meat on the hoof, you know. But usually they'll, they'll smell it and then they'll lick it and, and then they know you and then you're a friend. It goes on in this definition, literally or figuratively, to prostate oneself in homage. Parentheses, to reverence, uh, to adore. I want to focus in on the phrase prostate oneself in homage because we know what that is physically, don't we? We get on our knees. You see it on television with some of the religions around the world. They get on their knees, put their forehead to the floor, put their hands out in front, doing homage, physical homage to their God. And that's what this word worship means here, but it goes on and says to do that spiritually, how do you worship God in homage spiritually? To prostrate oneself, even in the Webster's Dictionary, means to recline with face to the ground in humble adoration as worshipers prostrate themselves before an idol, hence prone. We understand that and we know that. The word homage in Webster's Dictionary, a ceremony by which a person acknowledges himself as a vessel of a Lord. One of the ceremonies that we partake of annually is the Passover, identifying ourselves as a vessel of the Lord. The second definition in Webster's is an act or a thing rendered as an acknowledgement of part of services required. Services required. The teachings that Jesus Christ gives us in obedience to him, where he tells us to keep his words, to keep his commands. The second scripture that I want to look at for the word worship is in Matthew 15, 9. Matthew 15, 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Here the word worship is Strong's number 4576. Let me back up a minute. There's two aspects of the scripture in Matthew 15, 9. In vain do they worship me. The subject is worship. And it says, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So we're supposed to worship God in truth, which is the commandments of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, not the commandments of men. But there's a second part in this understanding. The subject is worship, and it's talking about teaching for doctrines. Doctrines are worshiping God. That's what was, missed, was left out of the list in the first page that I listed, that I read rather, from the man who, um, let 
listed praising, giving thanks, singing, praising, and giving financially. He left out doctrines. Doctrines constitute worship of God. The word for worship is Strong's number 4576, and it means to revere, that is, to adore, devote, religious worship. In Webster's Dictionary, revere is to show reverence, honor, respect, mingled with love and awe. And the word adore in Webster's, to worship or honor as a deity or as divine. And the second definition, to feel or express reverent admiration for, to idolize. So if we want to have an idol, it should be the true God. The next scripture that I want to look at that has the word worship in, and again, it's a different word in Strong's, is Luke 14.10. Luke 14.10. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, go up higher, then thou shalt worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with you. The word for worship here is Strong's 1391, from the base of 1380, which is glory, and in wide application, literal or figurative, objectively or subjectively, dignity, glory, honor, praise, worship. And again, in Acts 24, 14, the word worship is Strong's number 3000. 2414 in the book of Acts. But this I confess unto you, that after that way which they called heresy, so worship I, the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. The word worship, Strong's number 3000, is to minister, render religious homage, serve to service, that is to worship. So we can see from these definitions that when we serve God, when we keep his commands, we observe to do his words, his teachings, his commands, we are indeed worshiping him. Continuing in 1 Timothy 5.4, this word is actually piety. And I used it because I couldn't actually find the scripture that has worship in it with, <laughs> with the Bible that I have. It's used only once in the scriptures my, so my information says. And it's from 1 Timothy 5.4, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before the Lord. The word worship here is, 20, is piety, which is 2151 from 2152, to be pious toward God or parents, to show respect and show support. And the sixth and the last scripture that I have that contains the word worship is Colossians 2.23. And this has a bit of a negative connotation to it. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship, that's pretense, and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. This is Strong's number 
1979 from 2309 and 2356. Voluntary, arbitrary, and unwanted piety. Sanctimonious. It's done out of pretense. The key words in the scriptures that we just went through, humbly adore him, and I'm going to paraphrase these things, humbly adore him, honor him, praise him, serve him. And when we serve him, it's not only serving him, because it says in Matthew 25, as you did it to one of my brethren, you've done it unto me. So the things, the works that we do for other people, are the same as doing it unto Jesus as if he were living here with us this day. Loving him by keeping his words. He says, if, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my words. So obeying him, following his teachings and instructing in his instructions, expressed in our actions, both directly to him and as it applies to others. And in that, we let Jesus, we let others see Jesus in us, as the song we just sang. The authority for our worship, we can find that in Hebrews 5.9. Hebrews 5.9, and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Did you catch the qualification? Did you catch the qualification? He's the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. By implication then, if you don't obey him, he is not the author of eternal salvation to you. And continuing in 1 John, Second chapter, verses 3 through 5. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. And continuing in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. There's a process for us to get to perfect worship of God. And that process starts when the Father draws you to Jesus and to the truth. And he opens your eyes so your eyes can see. And he opens your ears so your ears can hear. And so that you can believe. And so that you can repent, which is change the direction of your life and go in the other way. And one gets baptized and then has hands laid upon them and they received God's Holy Spirit. And then we participate in the holy days beginning with the first holy day that is listed in Leviticus 23, which is the Sabbath, followed by the Passover and Pentecost trumpets, atonement, and where we are today at the Feast of Tabernacles, followed by the last great day. And through these experiences, both in church and our studies, 
and are interfacing with other people. We worship God. Worship isn't a canned one event thing that you do at church. It's what you do through life. I identified 12 scriptures in the New Testament that give instructions on true, acceptable worship, which is the antithesis of what one particular man wrote. In Luke 6:46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and do not what I say? Again, the instruction we all, all have already read is keep the commands of the Lord, keep the words of the Lord. And again, we already touched on base on Matthew 15, 9. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There's another instruction on true worship. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That fits into the easy part of worship because you can, having a form of godliness, can, it can be pretense where you put on being loving. You act like you're loving and you're caring. Or you go through a ceremony that is supposed to somehow make you righteous before your God. And in Titus 1.16, they profess that they know him, but deny him in works. That's another instruction you have already seen. If you love God, if you're going to serve him, then you do the works of God. And you practice them every day. And the people that you meet, your boss, the policeman that pulls you over to give you a speeding ticket. Those are easy events to remember, aren't they? And in 2 Timothy 2.5, a man is not crowned except he strives lawfully. So you, you, if you're going to preach and teach, to, or if you're going to even be a Christian and practice Christianity, you can't lie about it. You can't make up your own method of religion and thereby say, I am accepted of God. And further instructions is in, our, in, in praying, praying in Matthew 6, 7. Don't use vain repetitions as you pray as we see some religions around the world do. It has, when you pray, it has to be from the heart. You know, joy is, a, is an interesting subject because, and happiness, because psychologists, those that study such things, can tell you, and maybe you've seen this thing, uh, maybe a prize show on television is probably a good example. Um, somebody wins 30000 Yay! They won $30,000. They're jumping up and down. And another person wins $30,000, and they're there bawling. They're just crying hard out. And people wonder, why is, it, why is she crying? She just won $30,000. You know why she's crying? From those that study such things tell us, it's because that person has such a great need in their heart, in their very being. And this prize that they just won does so much to remove that burden from their life. The person that's jumping up and down, they probably don't even need it. But the person that's crying, 
It's a relief. It's an outlet for getting, removing a burden. Just as Jesus healed people. We're going to look at some of the examples a little bit later. Because some of the most key events in our life, in our relationship with Jesus, are those events that Jesus has done for us that we should be able to sit down and recall because they will help us know that we have contact with him and what we are doing is acceptable. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, so I'll get back to my, my uh, program here. Another scripture on giving instructions for worship. And we already touched on this one, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 23. If you love me, keep my words. 2 John 1, 9. Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrines of Christ has not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. And in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For the time will come, will they not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall leave unto, believe in fables. That's instruction and also a warning. And the last one that I identified is Colossians 2.8. Colossians 2.8. Where it says that people can be spoiled by philosophy and vain deceit. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and, not the, and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. I want to make a point here about philosophy. There's, well, not so much philosophy as it is psychology. You know, man is in his own efforts to learn about himself has done quite a bit of work on psychology and how the mind works. And as Ken Barton mentioned in the earlier message, Reggie Nolan gave a message on the addictive personality, and he went through some of the amazing things that they have found about how the brain works and how the brain couples to your act, your physical actions and your thoughts. And it validates. All this work validates exactly what the scriptures are telling us. Quite often, you know, people complain about the scriptures because they're all negative. Don't do this. Thou shalt not. Well, there's a reason. Thou shalt not. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want to go now to some examples of people in the New Testament that worshiped God. And then I want to follow it with a couple of examples um, of real life. Examples that um, I hope were for these people that had it in, are mind-sticking events that they can never forget. And events that will guide their future ways and decisions in life. And the first example I want to look at is the lepers of Luke 17, 12 through 16. Luke 17, 12 through 16. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were leopards, 
each stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, said to them, go and show yourself unto the priest. Notice, he didn't even say, at least not as recorded in the scripture, be healed. He didn't have them come over, lay hands on them or anything. He just said, go and show yourself to your priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned and went back. And with a loud voice, glorified God. It's easy to worship God and give thanks and praise to him when you have an overt event like that that occurs in your life. And I hope for that one man, it was a, a life-changing event. And I hope he was there on the day of Pentecost. Another aspect of worshiping we find in Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So here we see singing and praising and even learning through the message of the music. And if we go to 1 Chronicles 23.5, we're going to find out something about David. 1 Chronicles 23.5. Moreover, 4,000 were porters. And this is talking about preparing to build the temple. Moreover, 4,000 were porters. And 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, says David, to praise therewith. And if we turn over to 1 Chronicles 15, 16, we get a little bit more information on the same subject. And David spake unto the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music. The psalteries and harps and cymbals, soundings by things, by lifting up the voice with, with joy. So, you know, our, our little praise and worship group here has a little bit of growing to do if we want to compete with David. And we, we better we gotta sell some bonds or something, build a stadium, because if we're gonna <laughs> you're gonna have a <clears throat> praise and worship team and a choir of four thousand people, then how many people are you gonna have in the stands? <laughs> Continuing with some examples, Luke two thirty seven. There's an example of a widow. She's praying in the temple. She was over 80 years old. And she stayed in the temple, praying, fasting, and serving God, day and night. And see, we have an example of her prayers, serving God. And in Mark 12, 41 and 42, the example of the widow's might, where she gave more than everyone altogether because she gave what that which was her livelihood and we have we have widows in our own church that do that i've seen and experienced it and there are other events that go on in people's lives even today and i'm going to give two examples as matt Steele gave an example the other day in the first case the guy got washed off the ship in the middle of a storm in the middle of the ocean between brazil in Africa. And he bobbed around in the ocean for five days. 
And what hope can you have? There you are, alone, washed off a ship. And after five days, a ship pulls up right to where he's at because it's really hard to see a man on the ocean. You got some waves in there. I mean, you could steam right by a person not even know he's there. The ship comes right up to him, drags him out of the ocean place. They were 200 miles off course. Said, How do you get 200 miles off course with all the navigation aids you have today? How can that happen? You know, they didn't explain that in the article. But a more significant event was a small boy. It was late in the afternoon, and he wandered away from the camp, and they were out in the woods. And he went down a hiking trail. And as it got dark, people got worried about him. They sent out search teams, and they didn't find him. And they, they called off the search till the morning. That night, it went below freezing, and there was three inches of snow. So with the dawning the next day, when the search parties went out, they were not too optimistic. Well, of course, they're yelling out the boy's name. And as they're yelling out the boy's name, here he comes, walking down the woods, out of the woods, down the trail. And they're all excited. How did you do this? How did you, what did you do to survive through freezing temperatures and three inches of snow? They didn't believe the story. But so he had to show it to them. And his story was that when it began to snow, I went over to this tree to protect myself from the snow and kind of tried to stay warm. I huddled up and laid down on the ground. And two deer came up and laid down on top of me. There were doubters in the story, so he took them back to the tree, and they saw the deer tracks, and they saw the outline of the deer. of what we do.
So as we leave the feast here in a few days, let's look at worship in a new way, not just as an event that we do at one point in time or at, at, at one particular place, but rather worship as being our life. Thank you, Art. We rise one more time today. We'll have our closing song, and we'd like to call on Mr. Sean Witt.